Hello, I am Jeffrey Swan, and this is Liberty Audible. The name should be fairly self-explanatory. I'm going to read you some Liberty things and probably give you some commentary every once in a while. And um, it's not for your deaf friends, so don't invite them. Okay, the first episode is going to be an article from... The Foundation for Economic Education, that is fee.org, and the article is called The Cobra Effect. It was published a little over a year ago, um, Lessons in Unintended Consequences. Human beings react to every rule, regulation, and order governments impose, and their reactions result in outcomes that can be quite different than the outcomes lawmakers intend. It's written by Anthony Davies and James R. Harrington. So here we go. Every human decision brings with it unintended consequences. Often they are inconsequential, even funny. When Airbus, for example, wanted to make its planes quieter to improve the flying experience for travelers, it made its A380 so quiet that passengers could hear with far too much clarity what was happening in the plane's bathrooms. Other times, unintended consequences have far-reaching and dramatic effects. The U.S. healthcare system is a case in point. It emerged in its present form in no small part because of two governmental decisions. First, wage and price controls during World War II caused employers to add health insurance as an employee benefit. Why? The law prohibited employers from raising wages. So to attract workers, they offered to provide health insurance. Then in 1951, Congress declared that employer-provided health insurance would not count as taxable income. This made it cheaper for employees to take raises in the form of tax-free insurance benefits rather than in the form of increased taxable wages. Consequently, not only do workers now receive health insurance through their employers, unlike, for example, their car and home insurance, but those insurance plans tend to be more luxurious than they would have otherwise been had Congress never given them special tax treatment. These two political decisions helped to create the healthcare system we now have, a system that nearly everyone agrees is broken. No one set out to create a broken system, no more than anyone ever set out to make bathroom noises more conspicuous on airplanes. These were unintended consequences, and you can see them everywhere when you know to look. Unintended consequences happen so often that economists call them cobra problems, after one of the most interesting examples. Cobras. In colonial India, Delhi suffered a proliferation of cobras, which was a problem very clearly in need of a solution, given the sort of things that cobras bring, like death. To cut the number of cobras slithering through the city, the local government placed a bounty on them. This seemed like a perfectly reasonable solution. The bounty was generous enough that many people took up cobra hunting, which led exactly to the desired outcome. The cobra population decreased. And that's where things get interesting. As the cobra population fell, it became harder to find cobras in the wild. So people became rather entrepreneurial. They started raising cobras in their homes, which they would then kill to collect the bounty. This led to a new problem. 
Local authorities realized there were very few cobras evident in the city, but they were still paying the bounty the same as before. City officials did a reasonable thing. They canceled the bounty. In response, the people raising cobras in their homes did a reasonable thing. They released all their now worthless snakes back into the streets. Who wants a house full of cobras? In the end, Delhi had a bigger cobra problem after the bounty ended than before it began. The unintended consequence of the cobra eradication plan was an increase in the number of cobras in the street. This case has become the exemplar of when an attempt to solve a problem ends up exacerbating the very problem the rulemakers intended to fix. Air pollution. There is, of course, nothing special about cobras. The same sort of thing happened in the late 80s in Mexico City, which was at the time suffering from extreme air pollution caused by cars driven by its 18 million residents. The city government responded with Hoy No Circula, a law designed to reduce car pollution by removing 20% of the cars, determined by the last digits of license plates, from the roads every day during the winter when air pollution was at its worst. Oddly, though, removing those cars from the road did not improve air quality in Mexico City. In fact, it made it worse. Come to find out, people's needs do not change as a result of a simple government decree. Residents of Mexico City might well have wanted better air for their city, but they also needed to get to work and to school. They reacted to the ban in ways the rulemakers neither intended nor foresaw. Some people carpooled or took public transportation, which was the actual intent of the law. Others, however, took taxis. The average taxi at the time gave off more pollution than the average car. Another group of people ended up undermining the law's intent more significantly. That group bought second cars, which of course came with different license plate numbers. And they drove those cars on the day of the week that they were prohibited from driving their regular cars. What kind of cars did they buy? the cheapest running vehicles they could find. Vehicles that belched pollution into the city at a rate far higher than the cars they were not permitted to drive. The people released their Cobras into the streets, except this time, the Cobras were cars. Unintended Consequences Everywhere These examples of unintended consequences aren't aberrations. Unintended consequences arise every time an authority imposes its will on people. Seatbelt and airbag laws make it less safe to be a pedestrian or cyclist by making it safer for drivers to be less cautious. Payday lending laws intended to protect low-income borrowers from high lending rates make it more expensive for low-income borrowers to borrow by forcing them into even more expensive alternatives. Requirements that corporations publicize how much they pay their CEOs in order to encourage stockholders to reduce CEO pay resulted in lesser paid CEOs demanding more pay. Three strikes laws intended to reduce crime increase police fatalities by giving two-time criminals a greater incentive to evade or even fight the police. The Americans with Disabilities Act gives employers an incentive to discriminate against the disabled by not hiring them in the first place so as to avoid potential ADA claims. Electrician licensing requirements can increase the incidence of injury due to faulty electrical work by reducing the supply of electricians, thereby encouraging homeowners to do their own electrical work. Venezuela 
But perhaps nothing illustrates the scope of potential problems arising from unintended consequences better than Venezuela's terrible game of whack-a-mole that began with the 1976 nationalization of its oil industry. The government's intent was to keep oil profits in the country, and that's how it went for a while. But when the government takes over a once-private industry, the profit incentive to maintain physical capital is lost, and physical capital deteriorates. The deterioration plays out over a decade or so, and that's what made it appear, at least for a while, that unlike everywhere else socialism had been tried, Venezuela's socialism was working. But as the oil industry's physical capital broke down, oil production fell. Coincidentally, it was around this time that oil prices fell also. A fact that socialism's supporters point to as the real culprit. That is without question incorrect, given that no other oil-producing nation suffered what Venezuela was to suffer. As oil revenues and production plummeted, Venezuela's government acted the way governments inevitably do when revenues disappear. It borrowed and taxed as much as it could, and then it started printing money. The printing led to the unintended consequence of inflation. Then prices rose so high that people could no longer afford food. To respond to this unintended consequence, the government imposed price controls on food. But this created a new unintended consequence, wherein farmers could no longer afford to grow food. So the farmers stopped growing food. And finally, the government forced people to work on farms in order to assure food production. The ultimate unintended consequence of Venezuela's nationalizing its oil industry was slavery. The lesson. None of this means there's no place for legislation. What it does mean is that lawmakers should be keenly aware that every human action has both intended and unintended consequences. Human beings react to every rule, regulation, and order that governments impose. Their reactions result in outcomes that can be quite different from the outcomes lawmakers intend. So while there is a place for legislation, that place should be one defined by both great caution and tremendous humility. Sadly, these are character traits not often found in those who become legislators, which is why examples of the COBRA problem are so easy to find. Okay. Love this article. That's why it's the first episode. Um, I think it does a good job of illustrating the very real problems that arise as a result of central planning and top-down coercive efforts to quote-unquote fix society. Even if politicians and bureaucrats had the best of intentions, these things wouldn't go well. But I think the reality is that people who don't have great intentions tend to gravitate toward these positions of power. Uh, they want power over others so that they they won't be held responsible for the things that they do. Others are just forced to obey and to listen and to, you know, do what they want. That's really kind of a key thing that, that I'll come back to in a second. I think a lot of human motivation is rooted in a desire for status and a desire to succeed at the expense of others and that there are a lot of post hoc justifications and really nice sounding stories used to veil those 
you know, deeper motivations. Nobody wants to admit that they're actually motivated by a desire to have power over others or they want they want you to think no i'm i'm trying to save the world and uh you know everybody's the hero in their own story so i mean yes you could say that some of what happens is unintended i would say the cobra problem is actually a great example of something that probably really was an unintended consequence i don't know that there's some sort of shadow benefit to some politician for increasing the number of cobras in the street you know like like i don't i don't see how that one might have some special interest driving it but say in the case of healthcare in the US there definitely is there there's other things going on now maybe the goal with uh price controls was some sort of well-meaning thing generally speaking that is not the case um almost always when you dig price controls are sort of funded and lobbied for by some major player in an industry that has some sort of economy of scale or um, a better ability to weather really strict regulations so that all of their competition will be put out of business. And then the follow-up law that um, made it tax-deductible or made, you know, employee benefits in the form of insurance tax deductible would then be a massive legislative support for an industry that was artificially um, inflated because of the price controls to begin with. So when they got rid of the price controls, they then protected all of those new, I guess, incumbents or the, the special interests, the insurance companies, um, they protected all of their, you know, revenue streams by just making the insurance benefits tax deductible, which would it would maintain or even increase demand for insurance benefits further. So there's almost always some sort of corruption in the background, and I think that's important to point out too. Um, I do like the article because it doesn't force people to look directly at that. It says even if there's not corruption in the background. Here are the problems that happen. I actually disagree a little bit with the first example, the Airbus example. I don't think that that's even really an unintended consequence. Uh, You know, making the jet engine quieter didn't make the bathrooms louder. It just uncovered a problem that was already, like a structural issue that was there. The bathroom walls didn't get thinner because you made the plane quieter. In these other cases, what's actually happening is that, you know, the policy is causing the next thing. So I don't know that that's really the same, maybe nitpicking, but I don't know if that's really the same category of things. Thing. I mean, I guess it's useful enough to illustrate that nobody wants the bathroom noises to be loud. Um, and I think, I think there's a you know, somewhat similar distinction to be made between, again, like the COBRA problem and something like the healthcare situation. And a lot of these policies really, really and truly, the, the, there is a a deeper unintended consequence whether whether it's unintended or not is you know up in the air but but there's a deeper consequence of forced funding in general right and this is what i said i'd get back to but the very fact that an organization seeks to fix things while being funded by force means that that organization 
is going to be unaccountable. It, it cannot actually fix anything because if the desire was actually to serve, then there would be room for feedback about the quality of that service, right? And it's still deeper than that. You know, if, some, if you actually want to serve someone, you cannot say, I'm going to serve you whether you like it or not, and you're going to pay me for it. You, you've already given up the game before you've started. You, you've already destroyed the stated goal. In order for help or cooperation or for there to actually be some social rather than antisocial aspect to a relationship, it must be voluntary. Like the, the definition of antisocial is something that's, that's destructive to interpersonal relationships, right? And so a social relationship cannot be a coercive one, right? Like coercion is destructive to the voluntary relationship between people. Um, between two people. I mean, it's, it's just, it's like a definitional, they've just already violated everything that makes it a service if it's required. Like, you cannot force someone to buy a service and it still be a service. It's just a corruption of language. So, if a business really wants to serve you, then they actually want you to be able to withdraw your financial support as a, sig- a way to signal what it is that you want in the future. Like if they start doing something you don't like, they there there has to be some way for you to indicate whether or not you are you appreciate the business they're providing. And really the important thing is the flip side of that anyway, right? Like the fact that you can withdraw your your financial contribution to a place means that they have to provide you with something you really want in order to get you to part with your money voluntarily. And, you know, I'm not sure how, how beneficial the suggestion box at a McDonald's or something is anyway, but, but imagine how much less it would matter if McDonald's got $1,000 a month from you, whether you patronized them or not, like whether, whether you liked their service or not, would they give a shit about your suggestions? I mean, if you don't have a choice in whether or not they get your money, then they don't care what you want, right? And that's the problem with government in, in, in its entirety, is that there is no incentive for a politician or a... Like, they genuinely do not serve you because they don't have to to get your money. What politician the, po- the people that politicians serve are the people that donate to their campaigns, the special interest groups, because those people can withdraw money. They can refuse to contribute. And if a politician can get a law passed that puts more money in a contributor's pocket, then that means more money for the politician in the future, right? And think about it this way. If, if a politician passes a law that will increase the cost of living for every person in the country by a dollar. Well, then every individual person only has like a dollar's worth of incentive to oppose that law. But that's $300 million in the pocket of some special interest. That's literally the $300 million of incentive for that special interest to support that particular politician. And so there's very little and very dispersed, widely dispersed opposition and there's 
a lot of very concentrated support, and those laws get passed every time. The incentives of the game are just bad, and bad incentives always lead to bad results. There's no way around it. Like, people are human. There is no amount of, like, oh, no, we want to be good. They can fix that. So another piece of this could also be Stockholm Syndrome. It's a sort of like mass Stockholm Syndrome. Um, if you're not familiar with, with what Stockholm Syndrome is, there was a, uh, a bank robbery with a hostage situation in Stockholm, Sweden in like the 70s. And the hostages came out identifying more with the bank robbers, their captors. There's some speculation that some of that had to do with the way the cops... Uh, showed some disregard for the hostages um, or something along those lines. But but I think there's a very real evolutionary uh, tendency for people to align themselves with the biggest, scariest thing in any given situation. It, it probably depends on the situation. But if you think about it in terms of a survival tactic, it, it makes sense, right? If you can be on the side of the biggest, scariest thing, then you're more likely to survive. Like the biggest, scariest person is not going to attack you and kill you if you are willing to serve him or her or whatever. Um, and so if you think about it, like what's the biggest, most powerful thing in anybody's lives? Like it's, it's a government, right? The government is, they spend trillions of dollars. They, they have nuclear weapons. They have supersonic jets and all sorts of, destructive power, you know, tanks and ships and all of that. And so if the government is on your side and they're there to beat up bad guys when when the bad guys threaten you, well, then you feel really safe, right? You feel great. It's like, hmm, it's just great to have the government in my corner. But if the government is actually against you, if the government's stealing from you, if the government is, like, abusing you and trying to control you and enslave you, well, that really could just ruin your outlook on life. <laughs> you know, so, so I mean, there's something to remember is that a lot of what libertarians are telling people is painful for people to see. So I think it's important to have some empathy there and to, to understand that reality can be difficult for people. And then there's a situation we all find ourselves in in 2020 where you have these race riots, so-called, with weird communist undertones and and somehow we're supposed to see this as like healthy opposition to the police and or you're on the right-wing side and you're supposed to support the police no matter what sort of crazy shit they do. And the truth is neither of those are good options. Um, the, the left wing chanting defund the police, they're like almost right, but what they want seems to be to control the funds that were going to the police in some of these cities. So instead of being upset about being forced to fund some sort of service that's not really serving them, they more or less want to be the service that is force funded and not really serving anyone and just destroy a bunch of stuff in the process, which is just completely ridiculous. So what's really happening is we have a bunch of communists that are hiding behind 
a veil is supposedly a response to racism. And because race is a difficult subject for a lot of people, it makes it very hard for people to point to the fact that it's actually the underlying incentives that make the cops just shitty at serving everyone. And it really has very little to do with race, which is why there's like video of black cops arresting green-haired white people screaming Black Lives Matter. The race, the racial aspects are really being used to obfuscate the problem. Cops don't come to your house and shoot your dog because you're black. They shoot lots of people's dogs. But you know what? It doesn't even matter. Let's say that race really is the motivating factor for most of these problems with the police. Let's say that the cops really are generally racist. If that's true, the solution is still the same. The solution, the the reason they would be racist is because they are unaccountable. The market doesn't support racist organizations. People don't, would you patronize an organization that you knew to be extremely racist? Would you give them your business? At the very least, the minorities, which make up a significant portion of the population, would not be forced to fund the very people that are attacking them. So the solution is for things to be voluntarily funded. If it was a private service from which you could unsubscribe after they came and did something to you or your neighbor that was just atrocious, then then they would not do those things. But because they can come and shoot your dog and part of your paycheck still goes to to pay for their new cars or their paid leave or whatever it is they get, then they have no concern for what it is that you really want. Um, They have no obligation to protect you. They have no obligation to track down somebody that's stolen your stuff. They they show up 30 minutes after you really need them and and they they make a few notes and then they leave. That's, that's really not a natural service relationship. That's not how these things should work. Um, it is the result of bad incentives. And forced funding produces those bad incentives. Like, I don't guess anybody who supports taxation would actually like for politicians and police officers and whoever to be unaccountable. At least not the average person. So maybe in that sense, these really are unintended consequences. But whether or not a politician or a police officer will admit it, that doesn't mean that politicians and police officers, the beneficiaries of these policies, don't actually prefer the sort of unnatural security that it provides them to pursue whatever it is they want to pursue at the expense of everyone else. Um, So, I don't know. Is what we have the result of what lots of people want and just misunderstand is the case? Or is the, what we have the result of what a few people want and them you know, misleading everyone else? Um, I'll leave that for you to decide. And that's going to be all for the first episode of Liberty Audible. Thank you for listening. And uh, don't forget that fee.org has tons of wonderful content. You can follow me on Twitter. At AgorisView is my personal account. And at Liberty Audible is the account for this podcast. If you will, like and subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes. I hear that reviews help a lot. And 
share the podcast with everyone who is not deaf. All right.